If you will, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 You know, you cannot direct a message to any group of people without affecting everybody. This message this morning is directed to the ladies. Seems appropriate because there are so many here. But there's an advantage to everyone from hearing some of the things that God explains. This passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 7, I have been teaching since 1980. And I know it better today than I have at any other time. God has shown me some things this week that I did not know before. And the way He expresses Himself you ladies will understand better than I will exactly what I'm saying. The title of this message in my Bible, my Scopeville, is Godly Living in the Home and in the Church. So it covers the ladies in both places because you don't act any different, really. You're not required to act any different in one place than you are the other. But I think you'll see some things in here that will encourage you. I believe it will. And especially in dealing with us old guys. But it says... In verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Now remember, this was written by Peter. Do you remember Peter? The guy that cut the fellow's ear off? And God had to put it back because he was always snatching and grabbing and running his mouth and always wanting to be the center of attention. Remember, this was the Peter that we knew before. This is not him anymore. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, if any of the men, your husbands, don't obey the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversations or conduct or behavior of the wife, of you. You have a ministry built in when you say, I do. Without a word or the word. That preposition there in the scripture, they don't know today whether or not it was an a or a the. So you see, that changes everything. Now we have seen this issue about God and the silence of the women. That was originally the question that was asked that started this series of messages to the ladies. What about women speaking in church? So that preposition, without a word, would mean without saying anything. Without the word would mean that you don't have to throw the scripture to your husband. 
that without either one of those, without any kind of word at all, by the way you act, ladies, you can change your husband and bring him closer to God just by the way you conduct yourself. Be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, your man is not as spiritual as you are. You're not to teach him, the Bible says, but you can change him and bring him closer to God simply because of the way you conduct yourself and your behavior in front of your man. That without a word, they can be won over to Christ either through salvation or through sanctification by cleaning them up without a word from you simply because of the way you act. While they behold your chaste conversation or conduct coupled with fear. Now we talked about that fear deal last week. It's some have described or defined as godly respect. I've been able to find no reference to that. But we're not talking here, I don't think, from the words that were used of you being afraid of your husband. It says in chapter uh, 5 of Ephesians, what I call the marriage chapter, I would then that a man so love his wife even as himself and see that she reverence her husband. That is the two commandments, that the husband is to love his wife as he loves himself, which is great, a great deal. And she is supposed to return that love with respect. Who's adorning? The wife's adorning. In other words, what stands out about you to the public, let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair or of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. Now look, ladies, God says that in his opinion that the impression that you create in public should not be defined by what you wear, how you fix your hair, or the jewelry that you wear. But, verse 4, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Ladies, that verse right there is bigger than this room. That thing says so many things when you take each word apart that they used, that God used. The words that he chose to use through the apostle Peter to describe you and what you're supposed to be in front of him. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. That word hidden 
is unseen but perceived. Let me say it again. That hidden man of the heart that is supposed to be the thing that the ladies choose to adorn themselves with is something that is supposed to be unseen. Now I want you to think a minute about something. Do you remember how Peter used to always have to be the center of attention? Peter was running his mouth when nobody else was saying anything. And I want to remind you of something. In 1 Peter, in the 5th chapter, is where it says, where Peter says that God... Well, I'm going to have to turn over there. It's just a few deals, but it's... I've had it memorized for a hundred years. In the fifth chapter of Peter, it... For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. That's what Peter says. That was the problem Peter had. Peter has learned his lesson, folks. He really has, because listen next. Humble yourselves, therefore, because of this, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, or in when he chooses to exalt you. Now look, Peter was the kind of guy that always wanted to draw attention to himself. He wanted people to notice that he was there. He was always saying things. He was always talking. He was always making moves that would draw attention to himself. Peter has learned that God doesn't help folks that do that. If you try to draw attention to yourself by what you say or do, then God is opposed to that that he resisteth the proud and the wordy and those that draw attention to themselves and giveth grace to the humble. Peter says, I have learned that if I keep my mouth shut, God will make me make people think more of me because of that than if I was trying to do it myself and draw attention to myself. This is the Peter that is talking, that is doing this talking. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, unseen but perceived. Peter had to learn this to be able to explain and use the word that he used here so that who you are will be seen by other people, though it's a quality that you can't see. You perceive it in somebody, but you can't actually see it. It's not noticeable unless you're looking for it. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. 
in that which is not corruptible. That which lasts. When you've got this character quality that is called, that God calls the hidden man of the heart, you never lose it. Once you've got it, you keep it from now on. It's eternal. And God sees to it that people really see through who you are and recognize who you really are. That is the deepest thing, one of the deepest things that I've ever read in the Scripture. He's talking to the ladies. I'm telling you to be silent in so many situations. But don't be discouraged because of your silence. I will see to it that other people will see who you really are and know who you are. Even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. That expression of great price is expressed in the Greek, in the original Greek, as precious. Like a jewel is worth a great deal of money. God makes them see who you really are trying to be without you having to blow your own horn, as some folks say, or draw attention to yourself, or brag on what you really are. Verse 1, it says your husband sees. God will make your husband see who you really are and what you're trying to do and to be so that he will be drawn to God. It paints a picture of how we're supposed to act. And, and, and that goes for men folks too now. Peter's the one that's explaining it. So he had to learn it before he could explain it. And I want you to look at something else. Now you know you've never heard very many sermons about God guiding people on a daily basis. I've been preaching it for 40 years. I believe it myself. I've seen it work. I know it works. And I have explained it to people and they see it working too. But this week I found a verse. God showed me a verse. You remember the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance everything Jesus said? Well, he brought to my remembrance something that I had remembered Jesus said that I hadn't looked at in a long, long time. It's in the 27th chapter of Matthew. Hold your place, if you will. In 1 Peter, and turn to the 27th, I'm sorry, the 10th chapter, of Matthew in the 27th verse. Got it backwards. In the 10th chapter of Matthew and the 27th verse, this is Jesus speaking. And I'm going to take this verse apart 
because it's directed to everyone. It's not singled out to the ladies. This is for everybody. I have discussed this subject with a lady who asked that question that day. What about the women speaking in church? Tenth chapter of Matthew in verse 27. Jesus says, What I tell you in darkness. Now let's stop right there. What I tell you in the darkness. That word that was used that they translated darkness is obscurity or secret. God says, what I tell you in secret, nobody else knows that I've told that to you. In obscurity, in darkness. You can hear what God said when there's no light. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. Now look. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Now look at those two two different ways of saying things. I know the Hebrews put, they, they, they duplicated things to make an emphasis, but this is not a duplication. This is talking about two different things right here. Jesus says, what I tell you in darkness... What I tell you in secret that nobody else hears, you tell other people. And what you hear in the ear, you preach from the housetops. That's the word that's used. The word preach means to speak out loud with inspiration from God. So see, everybody is really a preacher. Now the pastor is where they draw the line. Everybody's not a pastor. That's a position. But everybody can preach because preaching is speaking aloud with inspiration from God. So what Jesus is telling us here is this. What I tell you in secret, do you remember the conversion of Paul in Acts, what, 8 or 9th chapter, and over in 22nd chapter, one lady brought this out, called me on the phone and told me, she said, I've never heard the description that Paul made of his own conversion. No preacher's ever preached that to me. Well, it's a better, it's a better account of it than it is when Luke is telling it. But in the 22nd chapter of Acts, Paul speaks of his own conversion. And what he says was, the guys that were with me heard some kind of sound, but it didn't sound like a person's voice, and it certainly didn't sound like somebody talking. But I knew, Paul says, that Jesus was talking to me. Because he said, Master, what must I do? They were talking in a language that Paul understood, but all the guys who were standing around him, they just heard a noise. They didn't hear the sound of the words. 
I'm not going to go into great detail at this point, but I'm going to say this. I've had trouble with hearing since I've been 60 years old. All my mother's side of the folks had to wear hearing aids after 60. I have done a lot of studying about the sound of hearing and the science of hearing because of my problem. And what I've learned that sound is the vibration of air. And when it hits your ear, it, there's three little bones in there. It touches your eardrum, your eardrum vibrates, then it touches the first bone, and the first bone vibrates and touches the second bone, and then the second bone touches the third bone, and that third bone is hooked to something called the cochlear, what is shaped like a snail, and it takes the sound, the vibration of the sound that comes in your ear, and sends it to your auditory nerve, your hearing nerve, and that nerve goes to the brain, and your brain takes the electric charges that come through that thing and change it into words and understand what the vibration of the air is actually saying. Now if you think for just a moment of the complexity of an ear and how all those things change the vibrating air to electrical signal that your brain can determine is voices, is notes, is words. If that is the true, and it is, the God that designed that, can't he go straight to your brain and tell you what he's telling you without having to come through all those bones and eardrums in your ear? Certainly he can. I've had people who made fun of this thing that God guides you. Well, does he have an accent? Uh, what does his voice sound like? They ask all kind of things making fun of it. Let me tell you something. God can put his thoughts in your mind, in your brain, without ever having to go through all this other stuff. And that's what he says here. What I tell you in the darkness, what I tell you in secret, what I tell you that not one other person in the world can hear, you speak out to other people. You tell them what I told you. And what comes through your ear and you hear, you preach it from the housetops. So what I'm telling you is this. That lady that asked, what about women speaking in churches? What God tells you one of two ways. Either you get it in your brain straight from God, which the Bible calls revelation, or whether or not you actually hear it by vibrating air coming into your ear. If it comes from God, you are to share it with other people. Now, I understand that God has got some restrictions that have been placed on ladies, in the way they worship him and whatever, but that's not one of them. When God has told you to say something, you need to say it. And in this place is a place where we respect the Holy Spirit enough for you to do that. 
So for the question that was asked, this preacher in this church, here, if you have to interrupt the sermon or whatever you do, if God has imposed on you the need to say something that he tells you to say, you better say it. You're going to be in trouble with him, which is a whole lot more trouble than trouble with me or trouble with anybody else in here. I have learned that when God tells you to say something, you better say it. Now that's just it. There is a reason for other people to hear what you're saying. I've learned something else too. There are things that this preacher is not supposed to say. And there are things that he is supposed to say. So what I'm trying to say about this too, it matters who it comes from. It matters in this assembly. If it comes from somebody out there, then it does here. You've heard it yourself. You know that I couldn't have said what somebody in this group said at this meeting, and it would have meant as much as what, when they said it. So it's not only that God wants something said, it's God wanting you to say it. Please understand that. What God tells you based on Matthew chapter 10 and verse 27 does not have to come through your ear. It can come straight to your brain. There's a lot in that verse in chapter 4. For after this manner, chapter 5, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. God, Jesus said through Peter, in the old days, this was the way the women acted. We saw last, last week to where God, 800 years before Jesus, was telling that the women weren't acting in a way that he approved in his own country, Israel, the chosen people. Being in subjection to their own husband. This is a military term. Being in your place is the way it's, it's, it's explained. It's not first place or second place. It is in your place are not in your place, is what it means. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any terror. That word amazement is translated terror. As long as you're not scared. You're God's daughters, as long as you operate without fear and operate in faith being where God wants you to be because you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Now let me mention something else. Now this is something that I don't know whether God shows everybody this or not. 
But he gave as his example for the ladies to be in subjection under their husband, to be in the right place as far as their husband is concerned. He gave the example of Sarah, Abraham's wife. I want to tell you about two stories, they're almost just alike, about Abraham and Sarah. Because the very woman that, that, that Peter was told by God that you as ladies should use as an example for calling your husband Lord, in other words, doing what he wanted you to do, you got to understand something. Abraham and Sarah had different mothers but the same father. So technically, Abraham and Sarah, being husband and wife, were also half-brother and sister. Now, Abraham had the good fortune of marrying one of the best-looking women in the whole country. That was Sarah. When God told Abraham, get thee from the Ur of Chaldees and move to a place that I'll tell you, and he started moving everything, all of a sudden he realized something. My wife is so attractive, some big people in other parts of the country are liable to take her away from me and put her in their harem, and if they figure that we're married, they might kill me to do it and to keep from getting killed. I'll just tell everybody she's my sister because technically she was. Two times, two times she was taken away from Abraham as his sister by kings that did not know she was his wife. She was put in their harems And she stayed there long enough for the kings to realize they had done something wrong because their wives wasn't getting pregnant anymore. Now, if you've got several wives and you find out that nobody's getting pregnant, how long does it take you to do that? That God had put a curse on his earth. And one of those kings got to looking to find out what the problem was and figured out that Sarah was Abraham's wife as well as his sister. It scared him so bad to know that he had another man's wife in his hair, that he gave him a whole donkey caravan load of jewelry. I mean, he made Abraham a... If he wasn't already rich, he made him so rich he couldn't hardly get about. Because he didn't want to bring the wrath of Abraham down on him. Now Abraham, if I understand right, at one time, just out of his servants, as he was moving from one part of the country to the other, created an army of 300 people. All of them belonged to him. So this was a big group of people. And I don't know whether he would terrify a king, a local king, small-time king or not. But this is the woman who made believe that she was Abraham's sister, did not tell anybody any different 
long enough for nobody to be getting pregnant anymore. Now, folks, if I understand anything, that would have taken several months. And this is the woman that Peter was told by God to use as an example for wives doing what their husbands wanted them to do. Now, that would seem to me like it's carrying it a long ways. But I'm, I'm showing you what God said and how He said it and what He meant by it. <coughs> and God said she did all that without ever being afraid of Adam, of Abraham. She wasn't afraid of her husband. She was doing it because God told her to be in subjection unto her husband. They trusted in God to honor their subjection, not their husbands. I taught this class for several years before I realized that. There's a lady told me, I said, well, I see you really trust. She said, no, I can't trust my husband. You can't trust these men folks you're married to, she said. I said, well, how do you do then what your husband wants you to do. She said, I trust in God. I don't trust in him. Now that was a, a real eye-opener for me. I remember when I started teaching this class, I got a lot of counseling to do from people who were contemplating divorce. And I was young a lot younger than I am now, and a lot dumber too. And I was talking with this lady, and I was telling her all the scriptures and everything that she needed to get back with her husband and all this kind of stuff. And she came to me and she said, well, I got back with my husband. I said, sure enough. She said, yeah. Well, you know, in those days I'd stick my nose a lot further than I do now. And I asked her, well, what about the scripture? Now, what did I say? And what I was trying to do was get a brag out of it. You know, what did I say that would make you get back with your husband? She said, well, Brother Joe, I'll just tell you the truth. I figured out that one of these men ain't no better, no worse than none of the rest of them. So I just went back with him and figured I couldn't find one that was any better. And it shot me down. But I learned over time the things that you ladies know already. That's the way it happens sometimes. And we guys don't need to think too highly of ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Likewise, now here it comes down. In the thing about the girls and what they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to be, there's a word to the husbands too. Likewise, ye husbands, <clears throat> dwell with them, your wife, according to knowledge. Now let's stop right there. Well, you just can't understand these women. You never can. God really doesn't expect me to ever understand them. Oh, yes, He does. It says so right here that we are to dwell with our wives in knowledge. God expects it. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Please understand something here. 
and I've had to assure people that this is what it's saying. It does not say, gentlemen, that your wife is a weaker vessel. That's not what it says. It says you're supposed to treat her like she's a weaker vessel. There's a difference. Some of these women folks are stronger than you are. The word that is used here, that word weaker, is the word, is the phrase more fragile. Okay? Now the way I explain it and have for years is this. You can take your grandmother's china teacup and drop it on the carpet and it'll go into a million pieces. You can bounce a truck stop coffee mug off a concrete floor three times and it won't even hardly chip it. And that is the point I'm trying to make. Husband, you are to treat your wife as a vessel that's a lot easier to break whether she is or not. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Two things here. A man and his wife go to heaven together as a root. There's one thing for sure. They enjoy the pleasures of a life together. One can't be miserable and the other one have a good marriage. There's no way. So husband, you treat her like a more fragile vessel. You realize she's more fragile. You realize she's easier to break and crack and not hold up. But you don't scold her about it. You support her in that. That your prayers be not hindered. Now hear me. You leave for work in the morning and you and your wife just had a fight and you leave it like that without straightening it out before you leave the house and you get a call that day and something's happened to one of your kids and you need to pray for that child, your prayer's not going to be as strong as it was. You cannot leave your wife in a disconcerted state. You cannot, you and your wife cannot be at odds with each other and your prayers be any good you need to understand that. So you don't fight with your wife unless you fix it before you walk off. Because God will not give power to your prayers if you try to do it. Now I'll finish it up with this. There's something you need to understand, wife. Your husband should be tougher than you are. This thing about treating your wife as a more fragile vessel, I think can be described this way. Picture this. You're at your door. You live in a subdivision. Or maybe not. 
but you go to the door, the doorbell rings, you go to the door and one of your neighbors is standing there, this guy that is in the process of cussing you out because your dog just tore up his prized rose bushes. Now you see the situation. It's your dog. He's at your house. He's mad. He's giving you what for. And this is the proper way to handle it. Hold it, sir. My husband will be home at 5.30 after he gets off of work. You take it up with him. Thank you. And shut the door in his face. You're not supposed to have to take that. You can unload it on your husband. If you don't believe that works, two guys can bloody each other in a fight and an hour later be hugging each other, drinking coffee and laughing about it. You can't do that. Two ladies get to get together and get into it in an office and that squabble will go on for months. That's just the difference between the more fragile vessel and an old hard-headed guy. He can take stuff like that without it upsetting him a whole lot better than you can. So lay it on your husband. Don't take that kind of stuff. Put it off on him. Essentially, that's what that scripture altogether says. That there is a beautiful thing that God sees that he considers a woman who is meek and humble and is not trying to draw attention to herself as a very, very precious thing. And that's what he intends for his ladies to be. And because of that, he'll make sure that the people around you will see your real beauty, the hidden man of your heart, and know exactly who you are without you ever having to say a word about it. Let's pray. Father, make us see this. Take our insecurities. Take our feelings of not enough self-worth sometimes and cover them with this promise. That if they will let you and the men in their life be in charge, you'll see to it that they'll be honored because of it and they'll know that you consider it a very, very precious thing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.